Today is Friday, June 4th, 2021, and welcome to the Chapter 49 podcast, a production of NTEU Chapter 49, representing most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. My name is Larry Lannon. I am a retiree and a communicator. Say the word communications. Really, I'm supposed to be communicating, and I can't even see the word communications. I am a communications volunteer for Chapter 49, although I uh, we're bringing in our chapter president, Duncan Giles. I forgot you gave me the uh, honor of being the communications director. I forgot I had that moniker. See, there you go. You're getting older and you forget stuff. And yeah. you can't even throw, can't even pronounce communication. Now neither can I. And I can't, uh, I can't, you know, and I, I can't remember how much I'm paid for this. Uh, you're probably fortunate in that regard. but I doubled your salary. <laughs> We've been through that joke before. We won't repeat it again. <laughs> So uh, we appreciate everybody listening. Uh, we're going to have a special message at the end. Duncan is going to be traveling a lot uh, with the National Agreement. They've gotten off Zoom. Thank goodness for Duncan. He's not a big Zoom fan, uh, at least on bargaining. So um, he'll be doing in-person bargaining in D.C. for the next few weeks, off and on, mostly on. So we're going to let you know uh, that how you can find the podcast uh, I know that Duncan has always tried to send out some emails, uh, links to people who might be interested. That may or may not be possible with him traveling every week. We may do it next week, but uh, I'm going to give you some clues about how you can find the podcast outside of the email chain that uh, Duncan gets going uh, each week when we post this podcast. So with that in mind, we're now in the month of June. The summer is not officially here on the calendar, but it sure feels like summer Right now in the central part of Indiana, and most of Indiana, it's warming up, which is normal for this time of year. So as things warm up, Duncan, uh, we certainly expect to have some news. We were hoping to know a little more about when people might be returning to the office. So what news do we have on that front? As of as of Wednesday, and that Wednesday evening, the last time we got news on that, the IRS has, quote, not convened a team, unquote, to meet about this. So as of right now, there is no plan or date certain by which people are going to be reporting back to the office. Now, if you believe they haven't had any discussions on this yet, I would like to sell you a certain bridge. <laughs> well, you know, there is. A, it's always you have to parse the language sometimes, don't you, Duncan? Because just because they have not convened a committee or a group doesn't mean they haven't been talking about it. Exactly. I, I think that there are some uh, definite plans and ideas floating around, but because they haven't gotten what I would assume would be a uh, multi-divisional team together to do this, they haven't officially said anything, so that's why there's nothing to officially um, pass over to NTU. Now, nationally, we have um, we have asked them once it's once it's convened, once this team is up and going, that you know we've raised several questions and we'd like them to address them before they come out with any final determinations. This will be a big test about how the management wants to deal with NTEU. Um, I think this will be a test. Will they, the, uh, the will the agency bring the union in as as part of the discussion before the rules are issued? If the rules are just issued without any discussion with us, uh, don't you think that's a pretty clear message? 
it would absolutely be, and I would certainly hope that the IRS would not take that stance. Um, you know, the expansion of telework that we've experienced during this pandemic is certainly part of the discussion that we were hoping that they have to have um, and would continue to do so. And so we want to, if they do, if they are deciding to pull back from that, we want to have that discussion with them beforehand to try and figure out why they're pulling back and to give them the reasons why that might not be the wisest decision on the planet. You know, Duncan, I, I, I don't think it's happened at IRS, but I had, I do as part of my volunteer work, try to keep track of some of the news sites that follow federal employee issues. And when you read that, there have been some agencies that have done some, some surveys, polling, whatever you might want to call it. They're trying to collect data on employees and how they're doing in telework. Is it working? How is it working? How is it not working? And everything that I am seeing, and again, I don't know that IRS has any data, but it's, you know, we're like a lot of other government agencies in that regard. What I understand, employees, now there are exceptions, but overall, absolutely love the option of telework, if not entirely, at least most of the time. So the real question, I think, is will the uh, the management take that into consideration as, as the new rules are promulgated? Uh, that's absolutely correct, Larry. NTU National did a survey, and the results were astoundingly overwhelming about the percentage of people that want to work at least the majority of the time on telework, if not more. Uh, the IRS itself has done pulse surveys, um, and those are exactly what they sound like, the, the, you know, checking the pulse. And from what I understand, those pulse surveys also show that the vast majority want to have that telework option as well. So management has to be quite clear by now uh, with what the employees want. And it certainly seems that employees are working and this is working for the most part. So why wouldn't you want to continue something that is successful? And let, let's be real here. The federal government in general, and the IRS in particular, is in competition right now for workers because you and I have, have seen these, these uh, peaks and valleys. You know, I worked, I worked in toll-free for, oh, what, 20-some years, and I could see when the economy was in some sort of shape, we were, you had an avalanche of, of applicants when the economy was bad and jobs were hard to find. When jobs were plentiful, we had a we had a tough time. Find, I mean, mostly talking about our seasonal staff we had in toll-free, but it also filtered out to some of the perm openings as well. So I would hope, and I know NTU's made this argument uh, with the national management, uh, I mean, the national level, both parties, that, you know, the, the government really, as the IRS as a specific agency, needs to take a look at the future, the young people they want to hire out of these accounting schools or wherever else they're, they're getting them for different specialties, you know, we have to be competitive, and this telework option has got to be an important ingredient of that, don't you think? I would absolutely think so. Yeah, it's, you know, the way that they want to gear up the hiring, and God knows it's needed, um, you know, they've, they've got to be able to roll out every advantage to prospective employees that they can, and telework's going to be a big part of that. So we're hoping that that they will realize this, 
and make it that way for not only new employees, but existing employees to want to stay. So as of this date, as we record this, as I mentioned earlier, this is the afternoon of June 4th, 2021. Um, NTU specifically asked the national management at a meeting recently, just the other day, all right, you know, what's going on with return to work? And their response was, we haven't really had any group talking about it. But as you said, doesn't mean there hasn't been discussion in the hallways of, of various places in, in the national uh, realms of, of IRS. They simply haven't officially put a group together. And I, I'm guessing they're also probably looking at what other government agencies are doing and what Treasury is doing. Uh, before they come out with anything, but uh, it's still a little hard to believe there have been no discussions of any kind. Yeah, when um, when you hear those kind of things, it makes you say, eh, okay, and, um, you know, they're waiting for additional guidance. You know, if there's ever a question that's asked to national IRS, if they don't come back with and say they're waiting on additional guidance, I'm going to think that, you know, I'm hallucinating or something because that seems to be the pretty standard response. So we, I'm not sure hmm. why they why they never have that additional guidance, but they always seem to be waiting for it. And so we wait as well, and uh, we will let you know what, if anything, we hear uh, as this, this process moves along. Moving along ourselves, you know, the Taxpayer Assistance Centers are near and dear to my heart. I managed them for about six years, before just before retiring. And we still have some very interesting policies coming out nationally on the Taxpayer Assistance Centers. That has to do with the staff wearing masks and the public wearing masks as they walk into the Taxpayer Assistance Centers. It's been quite a, I think, a, I won't call it pointed, but a direct discussion between NTEU and the national management on this. I don't think we're seeing eye to eye. Explain to those listening what's going on here. Yeah, it's pretty simple. National NTU has basically been saying, hey, look, for the safety of the employees we represent and the employees that are yours, we would like the taxpayers who do come in to these tax to be wearing a mask. And the IRS, specifically W&I, has pushed back extremely hard and saying they're going to go strictly by CDC guidance. And so if the taxpayers are vaccinated, they don't need a mask. If they're not vaccinated, they should, quote, they should wear a mask, unquote. Now, are there going to be taxpayers who aren't vaccinated? who aren't going to be wearing masks? And does that create risks for our employees? Hell yes. And that's that's basically our concern. Um, and we've just not received any satisfactory answers to that, where W&I is just, um, you know, it, it doesn't seem like they're putting the needs of their employees first. I understand what they're saying with the CDC. I understand it may be an imposition on taxpayers. I get all that. But shouldn't we put safety first, especially since we are still in this pandemic, especially in certain states where it is continuing to grow? Yeah, that's a very localized thing. You, you make good points. But here's the part that I still, I think, is fuzzy and difficult for. And this is not just an IRS issue. This is an issue in general for, for um, both government and the private sector. 
All right, somebody walks into a taxpayer assistance center, and the person, whoever's there, uh, IRS employee or guard, whoever asks the question, um, can you tell me whether you've been vaccinated? Yes. Okay. What if they're not? People are not always going to tell the truth. And we, I think the government is, is not probably anxious to get into this whole thing with some people call, and I think that they call it this just to kind of give it a moniker that's negative, uh, some kind of vaccination passport. Yeah, I don't know about you. When I was vaccinated, I got a little card, a CDC card. I keep it with me. And if anybody wants to know if I'm vaccinated, I'm glad to show them. Not everybody feels that way. But uh, I think we're stuck in a corner here, Duncan. Uh, the government is saying, well, we want to ask people, but we don't know for sure they're always going to be honest. But on the other hand, we don't want people to have to show proof they've been vaccinated because that takes us down a whole different road. I mean, I just think from what you have described as the IRS policy, we're just asking for trouble on a lot of different fronts. Yeah, I certainly agree with all of that. You know, apparently W&I has been adamant that they wouldn't ask for an exception to the policy about this, that um, that they're not going to be uh, having to provide proof. And to be honest with you, there's probably going to be coming down guidance for the guards and the TAC or the TAC employees themselves not to ask, but to simply, I would bet, I'll bet money right now that it'll probably come down to you know, did you see the sign or pointing to the sign where it'll say, if you're not vaccinated, you must wear a mask and socially distance. If you have been vaccinated and it's been the prescribed period afterwards, the two weeks afterwards, um, that you do not need to wear a mask or socially distance. I'll bet you that we're not even going to be allowed to ask if they've been vaccinated or not. Just be able to point to a sign or ask them if they saw the sign. And, of course, all employees are going to wear masks, right? Well, again, the employees in the TAC who have been fully vaccinated are not required to wear masks. Okay, so th- there, th- this is this is just uh, not an – I understand in a way that the management's kind of in a, a hole here, but I don't know about you, but I, I think that I would prefer that there be a different uh, – approach to that but i'm just giving you my opinion based on my experience and uh, we'll we'll see where it goes but the right as it stands right now um the public will decide whether they want a mask or not we will ask as an agency are you vaccinated and we can ask them i think the word is should not required should wear a mask if they're unvaccinated and really duncan if, if our people are vaccinated working in the tack the, the people who su- who are most at risk are the pe- are the p- members of the public who are unmasked right yep yeah yes. it's it's just it's it's just a like say I under, I'm with you I understand where management's coming from as well um, but I still think that they would have been very wise to ask for at least the waiver on this to explain the situation and for everybody's safety and by the way just as an aside, the toll-free people working in the office are still wearing masks, correct? I believe they are, but I believe that'll be shortly. Um, that'll they'll be corrected shortly. Oh, okay. Well, good to hear that. That's possible change there because I hadn't seen anything on it, but uh, I got the straight answer from you. So there may be a change on that one. Of course, yeah, I've, I've heard the rumblings that that should be changed very soon. It's just 
with the with the guidance coming from the CDC, things change very rapidly depending upon the guidance. And even you know the federal government moves at the speed of an iceberg, but you know sometimes it it can speed up a little bit and make changes fairly quickly. And I've seen some with these mask requirements. I have seen the government when it really wants to move very fast. But you're right. Normally, it's it's an iceberg, <laughs> moving an iceberg. But you know, when 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 the government decides they want to move quickly, uh, it can. It just doesn't often do that. Just my personal opinion. Correct. We're still going to stick with taxpayer assistance centers for a moment because it's been, I don't know how many years now, that taxpayer assistance centers have gone to the appointment method. It's always interesting to me, you know, I was doing teaching for Indiana University for five years, teaching tax professionals uh, continuing education as a contractor. And I would go talk to people who worked in uh, taxpayer assistance centers at the management level, and they were telling me how wonderfully and how well the appointment system was working, I would talk to the tax professionals and they absolutely hated it. So I guess it depends on where you are sitting as to how well you think the whole appointment system was going. And that was before we had COVID. Well, now uh, as tax are opening, people are coming in, uh, there's always been an issue about what you do with someone who walks in without an appointment. There had been a policy at one time that if there was nobody there, no appointment pending, the employee could just take it upon themselves to let you come in and they would help you. Or they would try to set up an appointment there or have them get it, get on their cell phone or whatever and call a special number, get the appointment done. Now, um, from what I have seen from information you are getting, there are some managers that are saying that you never serve anybody without an appointment, which is a bit of a change from what had been traditionally the past practice on that. Um, and, and we have a situation here, Duncan. The reason this is important for employees is because most taxpayer assistance centers do not have a manager on site, or even if they do, that manager may not be there that day. They may have more than one office, and they visit other offices. So uh, the question that comes up is, What's the employee to do when there is some ambiguity about whether or not to help that taxpayer without an appointment? Do we know anything more about that? Yeah, this is one of those issues that has been around for quite a while. As a matter of fact, it's been around since we negotiated. And I sat at the table and was part of that team on the tax appointments. And this has always been to me a situation like, you know, a little bit pregnant. You either are pregnant or you're not pregnant. You either are taking appointments and doing appointments only, or you're just assisting whoever comes in. But the playing of the game of, well, we're taking appointments, but sometimes we'll let people come in and sometimes we won't let people come in. And it's putting the employees in a horrible, horrible position to have to make those determinations because, you know, they get... um they get taxpayers. Well, you know, you helped my cousin yesterday. How come you can't help me today? Um, you know, so we've, we go back and forth on these types of things and, you know, the explanation of managers, if they, because they haven't gotten clear cut guidance, um, you know, from above, for a while is just frustrating. So you've got some managers saying, you know, we're not really taking walk-ins. 
You've got others saying we're taking, you know, we're, we're always taking walk-ins and make same-day appointments if there's no wait, like we've always done. Well, you haven't always done that. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, okay, you're only to take appointments. Well, you're taking people who walk in. Well, you're to take appointments. Okay, what is it today? Okay, it's Thursday. I guess we're taking everybody. Um, there is an IRM on that. And, you know, it basically gives the manager discretion um, to the appointment process in the case of special situations. And those are like hardships, the elderly, disabled taxpayers, or someone who's traveled a long distance. But as you point out, managers most often are not with their employees in the tax. So then somebody comes in. You should be calling your manager to get that exception or, you know, Skyping them, whatever it is. But oftentimes the manager is busy doing other things and you don't, you can't get that instant answer that you would need. So it just leads to frustration on everybody's part. And that's why there needs to be some better guidance out there. Oh, very well said, Duncan. I've, you know, has somebody who sat in that manager's seat for a few years, uh, Sometimes the managers uh, don't always like being the, the arbiters of that, if you know what I mean. They'd rather have more specific guidance. And I, I always thought the way the IRM was written for special situations, but you'll always find some managers who find a special situation in every situation, which is not the way it was meant to be. Yeah, it's a day ending in Y. That's a special yeah. situation. No, it's not. <laughs> Let's move on to emergency paid leave, also called EPL. We've had a recent uh, clarification on how credit hours uh, dovetail with that. Explain what all that's about. Yeah, this is one of those issues when the EPL guidance came out, um, it didn't mention that if you took credit hours, uh, that you could go back and substitute the emergency paid leave for that. Um, we were very happy to hear that the IRS uh, did review their policy and they determined that you could um, avail yourselves of this option. So basically, if you are trying to get EPL for something that had happened in the past that you took credit hours for, you can request that that be changed to EPL. So that is good news. And this is every, and that was a clarification that has just been received by the, the National Union uh, in conversations with the management of IRS. And there's another angle of this EPL emergency paid leave, and that, that has to do with the impact on the uh, computation of your retirement annuity when you take that. Explain how that works. Yeah, this is a real interesting wrinkle on the EPL that I don't think enough folks are aware of. How the law was passed, it won't in it won't impact your retirement date computation. So if you've got 30 years in, you're still going to have 30 years in regardless of how much emergency paid leave you've had. But it will reduce your annuity by the amount of the uh, EPL that you have taken. So if you've taken, you know, four months of EPL, well, let's say two months, let's say two months of EPL, eight weeks, just pulling a number right out of the hat, your retirement would then be 29 years and 10 months is what you'd be paid for. You'd get credit for 30 years, but you'd only get an annuity 
for 29 years and 10 months. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so that's a very important thing to factor. Now, a lot of people are saying, hey, I'd rather have the money now. It's not that big of a deal. It, yeah, but it's it's one of those things that you should be aware of because down the road, especially if you're younger and not going to remember it, because, you know, people that are seasoned like myself are not taking emergency paid leave. Um, it's usually done in conjunction with uh, children. And, you know, I, I don't think my adult daughter is getting married later in the year is going to qualify for me to care for. Um, so it's, it's just one of those things that I just want to make sure people are aware of that there is that wrinkle in the EPL for their retirement benefit. Well, having been the father of the bride twice, uh, I think you deserve that leave, but that's just, <laughs> <laughs> I think you should qualify, but that's just uh, my uh, independent uh uh, executive fiat decision, which means nothing. Not not so objective. Yeah, I <laughs> and, get and you. <laughs> nothing. Nothing about it is objective for sure. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about ARPA, the American Rescue Plan Act. It uh, had caregiver administrative time that was tied to that, and uh, we're looking for a change there. What's that? Yeah, basically, the IRS policy was when when the uh, administrative leave for caregivers first came out. It was, you know, that they had to make reasonable efforts to change their shift or exhaust, um, uh, you know, their exhaust efforts to make any scheduling changes. You know, but the law that was passed for administrative caregivers under ARPA doesn't mention any of that. Um. The IRS has told us since we've brought this up that they do intend to align their policy with ARPA. Um, they're waiting for the Human Capital Office to review it and come up with a policy on that. I'm hoping I'll still be alive when that policy is coming out, but that's even money. It could come out in years. Um they they want to be you know we're we're pressing for an expedited decision and in seriousness IRS says it will be expedited and they do expect it shortly now is that shortly in human terms is that shortly in terms of you know the ice ages and the earth you know you just don't know but we want to make sure that anybody who is availing themselves of the administrative leave for caregivers doesn't have to jump through any more hoops than they already have to. Well, and that's, that is good news. At least the service uh, acknowledges that changes need to be made. And, and I think sometimes as if there's not a legal hang-up or, or some issues that have to be ironed out, that it doesn't take long. But if, if you know if things come up, then that's when uh, that, or, you know, wrinkles in it or, or legal ambiguities have, you know, that are not clear. That's when the attorneys get in a room and argue, and that's when it holds things up a little bit. But let's hope this is sooner rather than later. One last issue. You are heading to the bargaining table for the first time on the national agreement in person. Yep, no more Zoom, but a lot of time in D.C. Um. <laughs> do you think you'll be more productive uh, in person than uh, in Zoom, or do you think it will make much of a difference? I'm really hoping. I'm one of those that I would rather sit across from somebody at the table um, even if it's not the main person, it could be one of the members of the team and have some side discussions 
uh, see some body language because we're getting to the point now where we're in the um, we're going to be in the last week and a half of regular bargaining, and then almost immediately following that, we're going to be in uh, the mediation sessions for two weeks. So we need to start, you know, getting some things agreed to, getting them done. There have been some around the edges, but we really need to start tackling and, and come to more of a meeting of the minds on some of these main issues. And I think we have a much better chance of doing that in person than we do uh, via Zoom. Okay, so Duncan will be heading to Washington, D.C. this weekend, and they'll have a full week. Not a full week, but we're hoping— Oh, to... a week and a half. I'm talking about this coming week. You'll be there the yeah, whole week? Yeah, I leave, I leave on the 6th and come back on the 17th. Oh. Okay. I leave on the 20th and come back on July 2nd. So we may be uh, talking to you next week uh, from uh, the great uh, nation's capital then. Yes. We're, I'm, I'm um, hoping to be able, we're going to be able to record a podcast. It's always the issue of e- me being able to email it out. And I've, I'm hoping um, some things I've done today will allow me to do that. But there is no guarantee, but you have some information on alternatives to that right and uh, i know you love the blast email you send out to people who like to uh, listen to this most of them like to listen to this podcast and be aware of it at least so uh we'll uh we'll talk about that in a moment but before that uh your last shot anything you want to say parting message if you will um I, again i just urge everybody to be vaccinated we need to beat this thing into the ground um you know they are going to be requiring people to come back sooner rather than later so we want to try and do that and get that done as soon as possible. And you just heard Duncan Giles, president of NTEU Chapter 49, the man going back to the bargaining table. My name is Larry Lannon, and uh, let me allow you to uh, just allow me to thank you for listening to the Chapter 49 podcast. Now, you can be notified of each podcast once posted online by following us on Facebook. Just search NTEU Chapter 49 Indiana. You'll always get a, an alert on the newest uh, podcast. Or you can conscri- subscribe to all my podcasts on just about any platform, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and many others. You will find all my podcasts if you subscribe, and I produce many, including films and some local interviews where I live. But if you choose to subscribe, you can just look for the Chapter 49 podcast on the listings and the notifications you receive. That's another way you can guarantee yourself that you'll be notified of our podcast. And if the platform allows, take a moment, rate our podcast, and leave a comment. We hope to return next week for another edition of the Chapter 49 podcast. In the meantime... Please be safe and be kind.